Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. All right, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about something that is baffling even to me at times because you can get so spun around the axle. There's so much emphasis on finance these days. It's hard to, you know, kind of extract yourself from the hype and the the chitter chatter that, you know, everybody's trying to understand, figure out what's going on. The reality is, is that we're back to something super basic. And um, I called Warren Mosler this morning out of the blue because I was like, I don't want to say something stupid. You know, I mean, a lot of crazy stuff going on with the world. You've got a war going on. You've got sanctions. You've got, you know, obviously people who are desperate to prop up the concept of Bitcoin. You got people that are desperate to prop up the concept of hard currency with gold. Um, you've got people that are intent on maintaining dollar hegemony. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, a lot of people are just spun around the axle. And I got to say, I was spun around the axle too for a bit, you know, because when you, when you got people coming at you fast and hard, it's, it's sometimes hard to extract yourself from that, um, that excitement, that enthusiasm, that, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but the hype machine, right? That, that hype machine. And, you know, it, 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 Warren brought me back to earth. He always does. This is the Warren Mosler method. He keeps it simple, smiley, right? And I asked him, I said, what about this whole, you know, Putin is going ahead and, you know, stashing all this gold and doing all this stuff. And he goes, why do you care? <laughs> I was like, oh, I said, why do I care? Well, because every Tom, Dick and Harry, you know, is running around shoving this story under my nose and I want to make sure I don't mislead them. It's see, I'm not a hot take machine. Okay. And so for me, it's very important that I don't say something stupid. It's very important to me that I stay in the lane of things that I know. And, um, uh, so it was challenging for me to really kind of get a grip on what's happening right now. And I guess, I guess the best way to say this is it's the real resources that matter here, right? What does Russia need with U.S. tax credits? Because that's what the dollar is. If you remember, get rid of all the exchange, get rid of all the jumbo jumbo that we talk about at the end of the day. The U.S. dollar is nothing more than a tax credit. And it's the same in the U.K., the British pound. The pound sterling is nothing more than a U.K. tax credit. And so when a country does business with another country, it's not like they bring the dollars they earn from the U.S. into their country and use them all over their country. 
Now, most of these countries leave their U.S. dollars in the Fed. They keep it there to facilitate transactions. And then when they bring that money home, so to speak, it just transfers back into the currency of um, the nation, the nation's currency, whatever that is, they, they exchange it in. And so Warren would often tell me when we're talking about the petrodollar and stuff like that, he says, Steve, the petrodollar is nothing but a numeraire. It's not a real thing. It's a numeraire. It's a pointer. They're pricing it in dollars, but in reality, what matters is what the nations want to save in. And so it's like kind of hard to put it all together. I mean, it's a lot of mismatch because you got everybody with these hot takes and it's the hot takes that destroy the world, right? It's, it's the hot takes that confuse everybody. It's the hot takes that are spawn out of confusion, quite frankly, half the time. But ultimately, Russia's sitting there, a huge, huge country, backing up to China, who is a natural ally of theirs. And they have lots of real resources. Russia is a very resource-rich country. They've got oceans, they've got, you know, access to all kinds of stuff. They've got minerals throughout the, you know, they, they, they have the productive capacity to do pretty much anything they want to do, whether they import anything or not. Now, there are some things that Russia is not terribly good at importing, for example, things like cell phones. I mean, they, they don't create them in, in, in their country. They don't create a lot of the semiconductors, so they rely on that from external sources, uh, stuff that they can probably get readily from China. So at the end of the day, the U.S. cutting off the payment system means that Russia really can't buy U.S. products and stuff like that. They can't buy products, imports. They can't buy imports. But it also means that the U.S. and other countries can't buy the real resources out of Russia anymore. If they, you know, they lock it down, they, you can't get their real resources. So there's been this battle between Steve Keen, who is a very, very good friend of mine. Steve, if you're watching, forgive me. I'm not going to take your side on this, but I am kind of. will. You'll see. You'll see. Let me get to it. And Warren Mosler, who says that exports are a cost and imports are a net benefit. And so you say to yourself, wow, how does that even work? How, you're telling me that if I'm an exporting nation, that I'm giving something away? Well, yes. The U.S. doesn't come to these other countries with their WTO and their IMF and all this stuff because they're looking to extract the money out of that country. The money's irrelevant to them. They don't give a shit about their money. They care about what's in the ground. They care about the real resources. Okay. It's always been about extraction, not extraction of paper money or currency of any variety. Currency of any variety is irrelevant, right? It's almost in its own little circuit, somewhat disconnected from the underlying circuit, which is the real resources. And so when a country sets its prices or you have monopoly power that sets prices, there's not some you know, all this elasticity of price and demand, all this curves and all this shit. They have monopoly power over pricing, okay? And so when you think about it, Russia isn't going to be able to give away their oil reserves to Germany 
who's losing in that battle right there? Is it because Russia's desperate for German money? Or is Germany looking for Russian oil? <laughs> Just think about it for a minute, right? Just think about what I'm saying. Regardless of, get rid of the payment system for just a second. Stop thinking about money for a minute. Just think about the real resources. And money is just a way of getting access to them. The real resources are what Russia has. Russia's got a lot of real resources. It's sort of like the U.S. People always talk about the U.S. as the richest country in the world. Well, rich in what way? I mean. Yeah, very, very wealthy country in, in, in a real resource sense. But it's not really about cash, is it? When you're talking about the U.S. being the wealthiest nation on the planet, I think that's a bit of a joke. But it's got the productive capacity and it's got all kinds of other things. So in a sense, yeah. But you look at the real resources and you look at China and you look at Russia. Think about what real resources they actually have in their country. And you look at Ukraine and think about what real resources they have, regardless of the payment system. Divorce yourself of the payment system momentarily. Just think about the real resources. Do you think that Russia not being able to get a hold of U.S. dollars now or whatever is going to harm their ability to survive. Let's just pretend like the rest of the world doesn't exist and there's just Russia. There's no one else. There's no other country whatsoever. It's just Russia. Do you think that they're going to jump off a cliff suddenly because all they have is what they have in their country? No, they're going to learn to adapt. They're going to learn to buy different products. They're going to find things they need. They're going to create plants. They're going to manufacture them domestically. Or if they have partnerships with China or whatever, they'll get it from China. But ultimately, what they're doing is they're cutting them off from exchanging with the rest of the world through, through the dollarization. And what you're about to find out is the emperor has no clothes. See, finance is a, it's kind of like a succubus, right? It's just suckling off of the real resources. It's just sort of hanging on them. It's not really the point. We've been convinced that the dollars are the real, you know, the real scarce thing that we desperately need. And we do need them because that's how we survive as little people buying and selling goods, getting food, getting gasoline in our cars, doing whatever we do. But at the nation state level, if the United States is no longer the world reserve currency, what would the United States end up doing? Well, they might pay more for exports or imports. But if the United States got cut off from the rest of the world, what might the United States have to do? The United States would just produce its own goods and services inside of a country. And that's what Russia made and very well end up doing as well. But they've got these gold reserves. They, they've been buying up gold. They've been taking all their quote unquote savings, all their holdings and transferring it into gold and trying to use that to liquidate, to be able to maintain exchange beyond the country. And, and, you know, and of course you've got the Bitcoin folks talking and you've got different groups talking about different things, getting excited and whatnot. 
But the real story here comes down to the fact that a country that has the ability to produce its own goods and services isn't going to be really hurting all that badly, right? Now, obviously, you have waste that you've got to contend with now. Now, you have your domestic production waste that's of concern, uh, et cetera. But, but it really does come down to exports are a cost. You're exporting this thing that you need in your country. Now, imagine during the pandemic, as the United States exported masks, these N95 masks or whatever, and they export them, but they didn't have enough masks to give out to the people in the United States. That's pretty stupid, right? Because the real resources being manufactured in the United States, the way this thing is supposed to work is you're supposed to make sure you have enough of the real resources that you need in theater in your own country and then export as required, right? You, you want to make sure that you have enough of whatever it is. That's why it's kind of crazy when you think about it, right? Fuel. There's no inflationary prices on fuel. The fact is, is that there's tons of fuel out there. It's somebody with a pen writing up and marking something up. But it's about the scarcity of the real resource. It's about the availability of the real resource. Can you get a hold of the real resource? And so I started thinking to myself, what if we divorced ourselves of the idea momentarily of money as a whole? So we didn't get wrapped around the axle about Bitcoin and all the other schisms. We just thought about it. You know, you look at small countries, many of these smaller countries like Libya. Libya had all kinds of interesting ideas about how to take care of home. They weren't worried. They'd been shut off from a lot of things. They were like, well, shit, we'll just go ahead and do it in here. We have food sovereignty. They had energy sovereignty and all kinds of stuff. When you're an extractor, when your methodology is to extract those real resources, it has nothing to do with the value of the dollar, has nothing to do with the value of the ruble. That's all finance bro shit, right? At the end of the day, if they only had 10 pennies to their name, but all they had was real resources, would they be dying for not having money, for not having finance capital coming in to save them? I think not. You look at Zimbabwe, for example, back in the hyperinflation. We always hear about they printed money. That wasn't really what it was about, right? Hyperinflation was that they didn't have enough crops. They didn't have enough food to feed their people. So they no longer were food sovereign. They couldn't do it internally. So they needed to procure things outside there, and they didn't have anything to do that with. And so they were at, you know, completely at the mercy of outside sources. And so this is why predating on the global south, who's largely been raped and pillaged, not of money, but of real resources. And the extraction that takes place there has left them insanely vulnerable. Not because of money. Anybody can create money. UMKC creates the buckaroo. It's really not an issue of creating money. The issue is, can you get it accepted, right? So money is 
kind of like the last thing that matters in MMT as well. All, that's why you see people wave their hand when they talk about finance. Because MMT doesn't really care per se about finance. MMT can explain what's happening in finance, but it doesn't really care about finance. Finance is kind of like the little kids sitting there in their car seat with a fake steering wheel, pretending they're driving the car. That's what finance is. They created this illusory system that we think is really exciting. We watch the numbers go up and down and stuff like that. But in reality, it's the real resources. And so I think probably this is going to be, you'd like to think that we learned some lessons during the pandemic. You'd like to believe that we learned those lessons hard, but we didn't. Joe Biden is out there currently right now talking about reducing the deficit, talking about how we're going to do the greatest reduction in deficit in how millions of years, right? Never, never before seen one point some trillion in deficit reduction. It's all the finance talk, right? It's all that finance talk. But during the pandemic, we saw empirically that the paper money wasn't a big deal, that the dollars, the digital dollars wasn't a big deal, that when we needed it, we had it. It's really about what you can purchase with those dollars or what you can purchase with those rubles. So the economy of Russia, what do Russian people use for money inside of Russia? Well, if they can buy things with whatever they want to buy them with, but they use the ruble. And the ruble only matters in terms of fluctuations outside while it's free floating in the market space of currencies. But it doesn't matter inside of Russia. In Russia, Putin is king of the ruble. Putin can make the ruble worth whatever he wants to make it worth. He can purchase things. He can raise the minimum wage. He can do whatever he wants. That's the beauty of detaching in some sense from the rest of the world because now they have a closed system, sort of closed system, not a completely closed system, but you get the point. So I think ultimately, as we talk about looking at what's going to take place, one of the big things that had happened through the neoliberal period was the clearing of markets around the world, globalization. I think what we've seen here is a detachment from that globalization mindset. You know, people didn't want to hear about the IMF and NATO and stuff like that as it pertained to Ukraine. But all that stuff, all that finance bro stuff, it's really a tool for extraction, right? Because what does Ukraine have? They have lots and lots and lots of grain. They have lots and lots of lithium, lots and lots of different real resources. Okay. Real resources that Russia would have liked to have kept access to anyway. And every time you see the extraction techniques of the IMF, of the US, these are political games. Political games with a barrel of a gun. But they're not real in the sense of it's about finance. 
guys sitting in smoky rooms making decisions set prices. It's not really about like these supply and demand curves and stuff like that. A lot of this stuff is kind of, I don't know how to say it better than this, just sort of there for the finance gang to, to try and make money. But it's not about the actual stuff. It's not about the real resources. And if there's real resources, if Russia says you can't buy our oil unless you use gold, who's hurting there? Is Russia hurting because they can't give away their real resources for your pieces of paper? I don't think so. And as long as they can get their semiconductors to another avenue, maybe through China or whatever, I don't think they're going to be, it's going to be a big problem. It's not like Russia's a small place that they're going to get claustrophobic. I think sometimes we overplay our hand because people are wrapped up in the finance bro mindset that they don't realize how quickly finance just doesn't matter. And I think that's one of the things that MMT tries to explain. Finance doesn't matter. It's really the real resource story. In particular, when you look at currency issuers and currency users, you're establishing the way your economy is going to work. And it's about distribution of real resources. But we've often said that the dollar is nothing more than a tax credit, right? In the United States. It's like an inch or a pound. It's a unit of measure. You can't run out of them. This is why it always cracks me up when I see shit libs getting all hot and bothered about tax dollars. This is one of those very important fundamental discussion points that it's like, it's just a coupon, gang. Yes, it holds its value, if you will. Yes, it holds its purchasing power for things denominated in U.S. dollars because you must pay your tax in that dollar. You see, the, it's the liability, it's the obligation of the tax that makes those things even matter. But they don't guarantee real resources. Think about this. There is no guarantee that what you need is for sale in U.S. dollars or rubles or whatever. So I think other countries are going to look at this and they're going to say, hey, do we have the real resources we need? Look at China's One Belt, One Road initiative. That's real resources. That's not money. That's real resources. That's the supply chain. That's the ability to get to and fro, to, to bring things back and forth. It's very important. And this idea that somehow or another it's about money, that somehow or another, look, the SWIFT system, the payment systems facilitate trade. They facilitate purchases. They facilitate those things.
But if you've got the real resources, it doesn't matter. So what Steve Keen would say, though, is that, you know, look at what happened during the pandemic. When you don't have a real resource in your supply chain, the whole thing breaks. So he would say that, you know, exports are not necessarily cause they're a benefit, right? That you're gaining access to these things that you don't have naturally to make internally inside of your theater. And so when you look at countries, not like the United States or Russia or uh, China or um, Australia, UK, whatever countries that have a lot of flexibility to do these things, when you look at them, they're dependent on trade. They're dependent on their comparative advantage and taking what they create well and being able to sell it so that they can have access to the reserves in that other country so that they can make purchases for things that they need back home. But there's so much bullshit out there, so much just crap that we create that nobody needs or wants. But we just have them at the freaking, you walk up through the checkout line and you're filled with trinkets and trash to purchase. What if we stopped making trinkets and trash? What if we just got lean and mean and all we were making was the things that matter? I mean, this is not a zero-sum game. There, there's some benefit here, you know? And I think the excitement, the fear, the James Bond uh, theatrical performances that we keep hearing about because everybody's so excited Look at the real resources. It's not about gold, folks. Gold is just a way of bypassing, keeping their holdings in US dollars, right? You still gotta want the gold. As long as gold's got value or something, okay, so you've got something there you're holding. But it's not currency, it's not money per se. It's just like oil is not money. It's a real resource. Just like silver is not money. It's a real resource. Just like copper is not money. It's a real resource. Just like water is not money. It's a real resource. I think this was one of those big wake-up calls to realize ultimately that trade and, and things like that are conveniences in many cases. You want something exotic, so you go ahead and purchase it. You don't have the ability to create it in-house, so you've got to bring it in. And that's what you see with the Global South. They didn't have the ability to create certain things. And so they would end up in jams. You know, predatory capitalism, predatory finance capital. That's the vice grip. That's the lockdown. That's the freaking handcuffs that they use to force you into these situations that extract, extract, extract. Now Russia's saying, we don't care if you buy our oil or not. We've got it. We'll use it. We'll probably need it ourselves. But if you want it, you'll have to buy it using this. Gold, whatever rubles, I don't care, whatever, it doesn't matter. 
The point is that they're setting the terms of releasing their real resources. They're setting the terms of what, how you'll get their real resource. And if you're not an oil producing nation and you need oil, that could create a problem for you, couldn't it? It's not the money. It's the real resource. I think that's kind of one of those big aha moments that I think we should all have, right? People get excited when you talk about finance, talk about Bitcoin, talk about all these things. Yeah, payment systems, and then you have currency, right? Payment systems allow that to go back and forth. Currency is the denomination of the unit of measure. And then you have this intermediate area where you trade back and forth or an exchange. But in and of itself is about convenience. That's why the world reserve currency is about convenience. Countries are doing all kinds of transactions based on needing U.S. dollars. But what if those, who cares? What if those transactions stop? Well, now all of a sudden you're just going to produce stuff at home or you're going to maybe pay more for imports. So it would naturally push you, you know, based on cost to purchase things at home, whatever. This is a real big wake-up call. I hope that helped you guys think through this. Because I had to take a step back because I was getting caught up in the finance bro stuff. I was all worried about finance. What would a world be without finance? You know, loans are expected, you know, back in the day, loans were expected to be used for productive purposes. Take out a loan, it was to build something that mattered for the society. And we give out loans for just about anything under the sun. Doesn't really much matter. You know, nothing necessarily productive about it, nothing necessarily useful about it. Just here you go. What if we start re examining what matters? I mean, you think about healthcare in this country. It's not a matter of whether we can afford it. Of course we can afford it. It's not about a matter of saving money. Doesn't it just gripe you now that you've heard all the stuff I just said about finance? You heard about all the stuff I just talked about with real resources. Our healthcare system is really about real resources. Take the same, you know, analogy. We want to give universal health care to everybody in this country. What is the real issue? Is it the money or do we have to find the money? Well, my God, where's the money coming from? The United States government can never run out of inches or pounds or U.S. dollars. States can, but that's for another topic. It's about how do they get the real resources to ensure everybody gets care? That would be the same question in Russia, cut off from the SWIFT system, etc. How do they get the real resources? I think they pretty much have most of them. Crimea River, Old Man River, right? This is why the illusion of finance is such a big deal. This is why when people talk about the value of the dollar, you just want to throat punch them. 
debasing the currency, throat punch, elbow of truth on the noggin, right? Money is not a commodity. And even when it was a gold standard, the money wasn't a commodity. It was back to a commodity. So the price would be pegged to that. And see, I originally thought Putin's idea of holding gold really was about backing it and pegging the ruble to the gold to facilitate trade. Thought that was what this was all about. I really did because it, you know, it makes sense at a certain level when you're uh, currency is starting to collapse because of outside pressures and foreign debt. What do you do? Well, that's finance bro stuff, right? So they wanted to give it some stability. That's the way I was mentally processing it. But really, it's not, not relevant at all because whatever they're going to do internally, they can do internally because they use the ruble there and ruble will buy whatever is available for sale in the country. Interesting stuff, right? I mean, you know, you got all these, uh, you know, tactics that the United States might use to uh, stop anyone from making transactions with uh, Russian gold and all this stuff, but it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter again. They can purchase things through that One Belt, One Road initiative through China. They can do all kinds of things. And if the U.S. cuts off China, let me ask you a question. China is the manufacturer of the world, <laughs> okay? If the U.S. cuts off China with sanctions or whatever, it's going to be pretty quick that these other nations that can't produce the stuff that China has been producing start saying, I'm not so sure I want to follow suit with the U.S. games here. I'm not so sure. I'm on board with this because we can't produce what China produces. And so now all of a sudden, you're going to have a real serious shift there. I mean, the U.S. depends heavily on Chinese products and services. Anytime you look around, take a look. And even if it's not the full, even if the product itself isn't the thing, even if the product itself is just made up of things that were made in China, you can't make a cell phone if you don't have a semiconductor or, you know, silicon, whatever, whatever it is that China produces. If you don't have it, you're not going to be able to have that thing you've been used to having. It's real resources and access to real resources. So I, I just, I just find it fascinating. We talk about a green new deal. Is it the money that matters in a green new deal? No, it shouldn't be. United States government can buy anything it wants for sale in U.S. dollars. Anything that's for sale in U.S. dollars. Anything it can purchase for, you know, with U.S. dollars, it, it can never run out of those. And so it has to go outside the country. Nobody's sitting there counting how many dollars the U.S. has. They don't, that's not what it's about. But if they have trade and they, so forth, they can still do trade with other countries. Like if somebody's manufacturing something outside the U.S., they can certainly import it. But if they cut that off, 
the U.S. would have to manufacture that back home. And the real question comes down to, do we still have factories? Do we still have the ability to create industry in the United States? Do we have the ability to develop the technology for a Green New Deal to suck the carbon out? This is where it gets tricky, though, right? Because the atmosphere and our the Earth as a whole doesn't understand these invisible fake boundaries that we call countries. And so global warming and the crisis that we're facing doesn't really care about property lines and the shape of your country and where it's constituted. It doesn't really matter. So it's going to be interesting to see with a, you know, a major climate crisis. And now all of a sudden, everybody having to start reconsidering their supply chains and manufacturing again in places that had previously not manufactured and all the waste that is going to be produced from that manufacturing domestically. And what do you do with that waste and the pollution and all the other stuff that facilitate, you know, escalating climate crisis. There's some, there are some things here, right? That we have to consider. So it's not a finance issue. It's a real resource issue. And our carbon footprint is a real resource as well. If we're spending, if you will, carbon beyond our tap line, that's a real resource constraint. But it's one that we can't control domestically on our own. It's a global thing. We have to look at that. I, I don't know. I, I'm, some of these things, I, I'll be honest with you, I usually like to close out my streams with solutions for everything. I don't like leaving you with a hanging chad of information. But some of this stuff is to be determined. We don't know the answer. No matter how many hot takes you'll hear on different alt media, you won't know the answer. You can't know the answer. It hasn't played out yet. And if you guess right, you know you don't get a Scooby snack for being the best Nostradamus guesser with hot takes. And yeah, see, I was right. Big fucking deal. Broke clock is right twice a day, right? Fact is that we don't know how this is going to play out. We do know this. In Biden's State of the Union address, he was talking about China, focused heavily on China before this whole Ukraine thing popped up. But we've known for a long time the United States has been meddling with Ukraine. But we do know this America is afraid of China as they're growing their technology, they're growing their supply chains, they're growing their ability to create the real resources for their own domestic use. So this is a game changer, a geopolitical game changer, a resource game changer, a domestic production game changer. I don't know what that looks like yet. Let me just be crystal clear. But I do know that it will change things probably in a big way. Would not shock me at all to see a lot of industry come back to the United States or uh, we just shift third world nations that we extract from, find another low cost producer. I don't know. See, it's not really about cost though, right? 
it makes me scratch my head. I, I oftentimes wonder, you know, people in America don't want to twist the ties on a Tootsie Pop. They just don't want to twist the, you know, Hershey's Kisses. That's not what they want to do. People don't want to stand on a, uh, you know, floor, factory floor for 12 hours by a conveyor belt. They just don't want to do that. That's not really kind of what we do here. We're used to a white collar service-based economy. Things to think about, right? The, these changes that bring the jobs home, well, you just might get your wish. I don't know. Something to think about, right? So anyway, with that, I want to just say thank you for our uh, donors. I see that we've got a uh, D has uh, chipped in a big 50. Thank you so much. And uh, I just want to thank everybody that keeps coming. I think Catherine Class, did I see you? Double K did the same thing. So I, you know, D and Catherine, let me go through here. Up oh, there's, there's another one right there. Boom. Thank you so much. Um, I think about this stuff. I mean, I don't know if you all think about this the way I'm thinking about it. But we have to understand that when they tell us they can't afford a Green New Deal in the United States, they're lying. We need to know that when they say they can't afford health care, that they're lying. But that doesn't mean that we have the real resources available for those things, whether it be human labor, whether it be factory creation, whether it be the actual raw materials required, whether it be the medicines. There's patent laws that we've got to consider too. I mean, I hate patent laws, but we have patent laws. Got to look at the impacts of those things. You know, I think this is one of those moments where we have to really, really establish as leftists, progressives, you know, what, which horse are we going to ride on? Are we going to try to ride on a bunch of like gimmicks? Are we going to ride on understanding the real resources in the United States and understanding that we can have nice things, that we can do things without extracting and, and stealing from the rest of the world, without enslaving people basically, and, and really imposing austerity to drive this home? Because it's, it's not benefiting you and I necessarily. Some of it may be. Some of the, was it the high... High cost of low prices was a great uh, documentary. Check it out sometime. But I think it's really, really important that we look at what the real resources would be for any of these big programs that we have. And if it's just a finance thing, like student debt, wipe that shit out. Wipe it out. So many rabbit holes we can go down. There you go. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that very, very much. I don't know. Hopefully these uh, these rabbit holes I'm taking you down don't end up putting you, <laughs> putting you in the Marianas Trench or something like that where you end up dying. I'm, I want you to really consider what I'm saying, though. Again, I hate leaving you with a hanging chad that I will tell you. Let me, no, let me, let me, let me put this together in one thing. The fact is, is that Russia is going to be okay 
with or without our sanctions, because they are largely able to create the things they need to survive in the nation, period. And the things they have in the nation that can be purchased with rubles, no problem. The things they have to get from imports and exports, I'm sure they could do straight through China through their One Belt, One Road initiative. I'm positive. It's really the people that need their oil that are hurting. So this is one of those like gunshot wound to the junk, self-inflicted gunshot wound to the junk that I just think is going to backfire famously. And I say this with a bit of a smile, not because I'm excited about anyone hurting, really more so about how ridiculous it is and how twisted we get the story. It, it really is a real resource story. It really is a real resource story. And um, I'm hoping that maybe we can start thinking about the role of imports, exports, supply chains, availability of human labor, availability of raw materials and things like that through a different lens. And MMT is probably the most coherent way of putting that all together uh, so that you can make sense of it. It's MMT is not just deficit spending. I'm, I'm sorry that anyone ever got that idea that that's all MMT is. I'm sorry that anyone ever got the idea that MMT is purely an American phenomenon. It's not. Something to think about. Anyway, with that, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to sign us out of here, but I want to thank each and every one of you, each and every one of you for joining me today uh, because this was good for me. I, I had to put these thoughts together. I had to think it through. And, uh, you know, I feel like this was a good journey. So keep your eyes out. Don't get all wrapped up in hot takes. I'm Steve Grumbine with the Rogue Scholar, and I'm out of here. Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash realprogressives.